Well, hey, good evening, everybody. Merry Christmas. I know at some point, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to say good morning to one of you. And when I do, forgive me, please. It's not morning. It is finally officially evening. Uh, My name is Steve Wall. In case I didn't introduce myself before, I'm the campus pastor here. So glad that you joined us. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there should be one of these on the floor around you. It's page 479 in this Bible, so you can turn there. Uh, Kids, how many kids in the room? Cheer if you're a kid or a kid at heart. (laughs) Cheer if you're a kid. Okay, we got a few kids. Do kids, did you forget how to cheer, kids? Hey, cheer if you're a kid. All right. Okay. So we got some kids in the room. Hey, there are some kids Bibles on the floor too. And so pick one of those up. Okay. If you have the kids adventure Bible, which is the green and brown cover, it's page 762 in that. If you have the other kids Bible, the kids quest study Bible, it's 884, 479, 762, 884. If you have your own Bible, I'm sorry, I'm out of page numbers. I can't help you. But Isaiah is after Song of Solomon and before Jeremiah. So if you get in that area, you can find it. Isaiah chapter 9. All month long, we've been asking this question. How can we have less of the distractions at Christmas uh, so that we can focus on having more of the really good things at Christmas? I love how Cameron said it a couple weeks ago. Uh, I don't know if he said it on stage or just backstage, but he said, how can we have more of the Christmas that God wants us to have and less of the Christmas that Target wants us to have? Right? So that's what we've been talking about. How can we do that? And we've talked so far about how we should worship more, how all of us should worship more, and we should spend less, and we should give more. And I hope that by the end of the service today, what you'll hear is that we all could love a little more. And so in addition to this being Christmas Eve, as Robin said, uh, this is our last worship service of 2016. So just thinking back about some of the great things that happened in 2016, there were some really good things that happened in 2016. We got a new Star Wars movie, right? How many of you have seen Rogue One yet? Raise your hand. How many of you are planning to see Rogue One if you haven't already? Okay, that's a, good, that's a pretty good crowd. Uh, 2016 gave us more Full House. How many of you watch Fuller House? Anybody? More than Star Wars people. That's what I expected. That's great. Okay, 2016 also gave us the greatest victory in the history of mankind as the Chicago Cubs world, won the World Series again in 2016. And we're going to do it all again in 108 years. I can't wait. It's going to be great. But as great as these things were, I think for many of us, 2016 was a year that, well, quite honestly, we just as soon forget, isn't it? I mean, I probably don't have to remind you of all the negative news stories that happened from the year. Most of them, I can just say a word or phrase, right? A a word like Orlando or Aleppo or uh, Nice or election or email, Hatchimals, right? Just one word. That's just the real news that happened. That doesn't include all the fake news that happened in 2016, right? There's lots of bad fake news too. Uh, 2016 also gave us a lot of celebrity heartbreak. We saw uh, Brad and Angelina split. We saw uh, Tarek and Christina split. Uh, Taylor Swift and Calvin Harris. Taylor Swift and Tom Hiddleston. (laughs) Can't wait to hear those songs, can you? (laughs) It's going to be great. But in all seriousness, maybe, maybe 2016 has been a really good year for you. How many of you would say, and honestly, looking back, like 2016 has been a really good year for me and my family? Raise your hand. Okay, a few. How many of you would say 2016 is a year that I'm just going to be excited to have in the history books? Raise your hand if that's you. It's about 50-50 in this room. That's what I thought. Well, whatever your year has been like, I bet if you look at what's going on out there in the world, right, in culture, we would say that probably it doesn't look a lot like peace on earth, goodwill to men, does it? Well, it may surprise you 
to think about the first century, you know, the time when the first Christmas happened, when Jesus was born, that place and time when the original Christmas story happened, that that was a time that was pretty chaotic as well. I mean, there was political chaos. The Roman Empire had taken over this whole swath of the world, what we now know as the Middle East, and had placed their own governors in place. So there were constant uprisings and coups and people trying to take over the government. There was financial chaos. I mean, people weren't always checking their 401ks to see what, if they were up or down this week. And people weren't like looking at mortgage interest rates to see uh, if they were going to refinance or not. But there was still a lot of financial chaos. I mean, the, the Roman government would often tax people's incomes at 90% or more. I mean, could you imagine trying to make a living in a climate like that? It was chaos. And then there was great relational chaos. I mean, there were people were held as slaves. Uh, women were treated, treated as property. People were discriminated against based on their skin color, their religion, their ethnic origin. I mean, if you look around the first century, it probably didn't look any more like peace on earth, goodwill toward men uh, than it does today in 2016. And so I want you for just a moment, we're going to use our imagination. And kids... We're going to need your help because adults, we aren't always really good at using our imagination. So kids, can you help me uh, use our imagination? What we're going to do is we're going to think back to what it would be like if we were a young kid in the first century and we had heard the stories growing up about this king that would be coming. So imagine that, that you're a Jewish person in the first century. You hear about this coming king, these words from Isaiah 9, starting with verse 6. It says this, and kids, if you've got your packet with you, you can fill out some of the words in this verse in your message notes, okay? It says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All right, now imagine that all your life you've heard about this king that was coming, and then you get the news. The king is born. Right, the king is born, and you get a chance to go see him. Think about how, what you might expect from this coming king, how much you expect him to act, where might you expect him to live? What about the, the circumstances around his birth? What might you expect there? Okay. So first of all, where should a king be born? Kids, do you think a king should be born in a small town or a big city? Big city, right? Yeah, it should be a place like New York or London or Paris or, I mean, at the very least, Rome, right? In this case, maybe Jerusalem. King should be born in a big city. But what I want you to see as we go throughout the story of Jesus is to see how time after time he defies our expectations. That Jesus refused to be put in this box that we want, him to, we want to put him in. In fact, Isaiah 55 says this. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I have to tell you, this is really reassuring to me. When I get into a situation and I, I don't understand or I'm worried that something might happen or that it might not happen, you know, I go back to this passage and think, well, that's not how I would do it. But you know what? God's thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways. And then I often think, okay, well, that means that his ways are better than my ways. That's what it's trying to say, right? That's what I usually think is, well, God's ways are better than my ways. But that really limits what that passage means because they're not just better than my ways. His ways are higher than my ways. It means they're often out of reach for me. You know, when you put something up high and you can't reach it, that's what, like God's 
ways are higher than my ways. And so sometimes when I think that they're just better, they are better. His ways are better than my ways because his ways are always perfect and mine are not always perfect. Just ask my wife. Um, But his ways are higher than my ways. And that's reassuring to me. So with that in mind, let's just take a look at some of the expectations that uh, this big chaotic world would have had for Jesus and then see how he defied them and how he, uh, he kind of went through life his own way. What, what would a savior king look like? And here's what Jesus did. Okay, so kids, you already said the, the king should be born in an important city. The world expected the king would be born in an important city, but in reality, but Jesus was born in a small town. Just like John Mellencamp. He was born in a small town, probably die in a small town. The king was born in a small town called Bethlehem, a little farm town. And, and so think about this. What kind of family would a king be born into? Do you think a, fa- a king should be born into a rich family or a poor family? A rich family, right? Yeah. The world expects that the king would be born into royalty. But Jesus was born into uncertainty. I mean, think about this. This family, uh, Mary and Joseph, they got to Bethlehem and there's no place to stay. They didn't even have a room for them at the, at, the, at the inn. And so they had to go out and end up in a manger, which is, well, it's kind of like a barn, but it's not as nice because it doesn't even have all four walls. And so they end up in this manger, and that's where Jesus is born. And then to top it all off, the king in this area is a guy named Herod. Herod, well, Herod was kind of a bully. He didn't want other kings imposing on his territory. So what happened was Herod just decided the best way to get rid of any competition would be just to have all the little baby boys killed. If there was a baby boy king that was born, we're just going to kill all the baby boys and then we won't have to worry about it. And so that's what he did. That's what he ordered. And so Mary and Joseph and their family had to escape Bethlehem and go to Egypt. Now, that doesn't sound like the life of a king to me. But God's ways are not my ways. His ways are higher than my ways. And this idea of Jesus defying all our expectations um, didn't just stop with the Christmas story. I mean, it doesn't just stop when we think about his birth. It went all throughout his life. I mean, all throughout Jesus' life, he continually defies our expectations. Think about this. Where should a king live, a king or president? What kind of house should they have? A palace, right? A castle? Someplace nice, maybe at least Trump Tower, right? I mean, they ought to have someplace nice to live. The world expected a palace, but Jesus was often without a place to stay. I mean, in Matthew 8, Jesus is near the peak of his popularity. He's he's going around the countryside. He's teaching. He's healing people. He's got big crowds that are gathering around him to hear him teach, and they're following him. And this is what he said. He said in Matthew 8, 20, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man, he says, but I have no place to lay my head. And then even at the end of his life, you know, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem for the last time, he's being hailed as a hero. He rides into town and people have palm branches lining the streets and they're bowing down to him and they're fanning him with these palm branches and they're singing Hosanna, which means save us now. They're looking to him as the king and the, the world expects him to ride into town on what? What would a king ride on? A horse. A big horse, like a war horse, right? But Jesus, Jesus was on a donkey. He, time after time. The reality of Jesus was different than everyone thought it should be. It's different than everyone thinks it should be. In fact, many people, even today, many people who don't regularly think about Jesus and study his life probably have this skewed version of who Jesus really is because they've got this idea that they learned back in school or from their friends uh, or, or from some other church that they used to attend that maybe really didn't study Jesus's life in the word. And so you may be here tonight and you've got this weird idea who Jesus is, but the truth is that the real Jesus will defy your expectations. 
that his ways are always higher than your ways and his thoughts are always higher than your thoughts. And, and this even caused him trouble at the end of his life as he rode in Jerusalem on that donkey. What was happening is there were all these people around him that were expecting Jesus to be a revolutionary. Like they wanted him to start a war against the authorities because that's what kings did in those days, that they would bring their troops, they would amass an army and they'd go in and they'd take over by force. And this is what a lot of Jesus' followers wanted out of him. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, there's this story about David. Now, David was a, a king in the Old Testament many, many, many years before Jesus. In fact, Joseph, um, who's Mary's husband, Joseph was descended from David. Like David was his great, 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 I don't know how many greats, grandfather. And so Joseph was in that line, which is why they went back to Bethlehem. But David, it said about David, there's a story in the Bible about David in 2 Samuel 11. And it says this at the very beginning of the story about David. It says, in the spring... At the time when kings go off to war. So there's this idea that's uh, baked into uh, their theology that when, when there's, you're a king, what you do is you go to war. And it sounds like a Geico commercial, doesn't it? Like if, when you're a king, you go to war. That's what you do. When you want to save money on car insurance, you go to Geico.com. That's what you do. But when you're a king, that's what they would expect, that you go to war. And so the world expected a king of war. But Jesus was the prince of peace. Again, let's look back at Isaiah 9. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, the Bible says that this baby Jesus, who we celebrate his birth at Christmas, will bring extraordinary wisdom, Counselor, right? Incredible power. He's a mighty God and unconditional love but also that he will usher in this eternal peace, that he is going to bring a piece of heaven down to earth with him. And how would he do that? Well, he would go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. Because someday those little tiny hands in the manger would be pierced with nails and nailed to a cross. That that tender head that rested on Mary's lap would have a crown of thorns thrust upon it by angry soldiers. Those, those chubby little arms would be stretched out to represent a mighty God who wants a relationship with us. Jesus went to the cross so that we could have eternal life and an eternal relationship with God. On the cross, Jesus became the sacrifice that led to the truce between us and God. Now, he's the one that brought our peace. Now, often when we hear peace, we think about an absence of war, right? I think if you were to ask somebody, if you ask somebody what they want and they say, what I really want is world peace, I think what they mean usually is they want the fighting to stop, right? They don't want fighting in the Middle East. They want the saber rattling from all the dictators to stop. They want a peace between Colson Patriots fans, Right? No fighting is what we usually think of when we think of peace. But peace that Jesus brings is so much more than that. The word in the Old Testament that's often translated as peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom really doesn't mean peace like an absence of fighting. It means wholeness or fullness, that, that, that completeness. Right? It says that, that Jesus is the prince of wholeness. That, that what he really wants to do and what we celebrate as Christmas is more than 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to a broken, sin-soaked earth to make us whole again, to make the earth complete again. And that place that starts is not out there. Okay? It's not that, that 
everything's going to be restored out there. But where peace starts is what's in here. It's in here. Jesus came to complete you. He came to complete me. He came to make us whole again. This is what Jesus meant in John 14 when he said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, what Jesus is doing is he's not promising an end to the wars out there. He's not promising quietness out there in the world. He says out there, there's still going to be trouble. In fact, Jesus even told us this in the New Testament. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus isn't promising an end to the troubles of the world. He says, out there, wars will rage. Out there, injustice will happen. Out there, marriages will end. Relationships will be hard. We'll lose friends. We'll lose family. He says, out there, there's still going to be trouble. Well, for now. (laughs) He doesn't promise an end to all of that. But one day, one day the Bible said, because the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back, that, that he came to earth. And he died for our sin and he left earth. He was raised from the dead to show us that God can overcome anything, but that one day he's coming back. And when he comes the next time, he brings peace everywhere. Because when he comes the next time, there's going to be an end to the crying, an end to the pain, an end to the tears, that someday there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and all the brokenness will be gone. But not yet. But for now, Jesus says in the midst of trouble, you don't have to be afraid because I came to give you peace in here. I came to take those broken places in your heart and make them whole again. And I know for some of you, Christmas is the hardest time of year. It's the loneliest time of year. It's the time when you feel the most alone. You feel the most broken. It's the time when you feel most that something is missing in your life, that something is incomplete. And I want you to know that Jesus came to make you whole again. That he came to... Heal up those broken parts of your heart. He came to restore fullness to your life. So maybe you think, well, that's great, Steve. It's great to know that I can have peace in my heart. But what I really want to know is how do I have peace at my in-laws tomorrow? (laughs) Because some of you uh, come in here and the Christmas season is a little overwhelming for you, not because of the loneliness, but because of the lack of aloneness, right? Like this is the first day for many of you in a stretch of two, three, four, five days in a row where you're going to be around family that you're not always around and with very good reason, I might add, right? It's the time when your schedule gets interrupted and, and uh, you have to interact with people that you don't really like to interact with. And kids, your schedule is interrupted. Kids, I know it's really tough for you because you just want to stay home and you want to play with your new toys, right? You want to play with your new video games or whatever you get for Christmas in the morning. Um, but You're going to have to sit in a car all day and you're going to have to go see that weird aunt that always squeezes your cheeks like a thousand times. Oh my gosh, you're growing up so big. I can't believe how fast you're growing. And she's got that coffee breath and she breathes all over you. And it's like, I just want to be done with Christmas. For some of you, a good Christmas is if the police aren't called again this year. You know, and so again, how can Jesus's peace affect my family gatherings? How can it impact my chaotic home on Christmas days? Well, there's good news on that front. There's good news because Jesus anticipated this moment. He knew that we're all from broken families. We all have weirdness and dysfunctionality in our families. And so Jesus gave us exactly the right tool to fix the brokenness in our families. You want to know about this? He gave us exactly everything that we need to fix the brokenness in our families. He gave us exactly the right tool. You want to hear what it is? It's you. You are the plan. 
you are the answer, that you are what Jesus wants to use to bring shalom into your house on Christmas Day. Today, I believe that Jesus wants us to love more so that we can usher the Prince of Peace into our Christmas. Look, watch this. Watch this instruction he gave to his followers in John 13. He says this, a new command I give you. Okay, this is the beginning of what Jesus says. Now, just for background, Jesus has been with these same group of guys for about a year and a half, two years at this point. He's pretty much told them everything that they think they need to know. And so when Jesus comes up and says, hey, I'm going to give you a new command. It's like, hey, this is going to be good. This is going to be something that we've never heard before. In fact, they probably thought this could be exactly what we need to start over. Do you ever feel like you want to start over? you feel like you'd like to have a new beginning to your life? Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give you something so new and so revolutionary. I mean, it might change your life. Here's what he says. A new command I give you, love one another. That's it. Love one another. That's the new command. How is that new? But that's what he says. He says, love one another. And he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, here's what Jesus knows that we forget sometimes. Love changes people. Love makes people do crazy things. I have to tell you that when uh, my wife's in the room, when I first fell in love with my wife, we were both students. I was working full-time. I was going to school full-time in the evenings. And uh, I lived about a 35-minute drive from work. I lived on the west side of Indianapolis. I was working in Westfield. I would get up 7 o'clock in the morning. I would drive, leave the house 7 o'clock in the morning. I would drive to Westfield. I would work for about five hours. I would drive downtown to IUPUI, take a class in the middle of the day, drive back to work, work another three hours. I would drive back to IUPUI for my 645 class. It went until 9. 30 at night. And then three days a week, I would drive out to where my wife lived 45 minutes away after class was over at 930 to see her for about an hour before I drive back home, pull into my driveway at 1130 at night, put 120 miles a day on my car. And I would get up at seven o'clock the next morning and do it all over again. Why? Because love makes you do crazy stuff. I was in love and love changes people's lives. And Jesus understood that. He saw that. He knows that. And so he commands us to love one another. He says, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. How did Jesus love us? Well, he gave up his life for us. He gave up everything for us. He, he took our needs and put them ahead of his needs. Jesus says, as I have done for you, so you should go do for others. And this Christmas, going in with this idea that you are going to love the people around you, even if it hurts can completely change how your Christmas goes. Now, here's what loving people means. I'm not going to just tolerate them. Uh, I'm not going to just count the minutes until they leave or until we can leave. Uh, I'm not going to just sit quietly and bite my lip when they talk about their crazy, dumb politics or their crazy ideas. I'm not going to do this all day. Because I'm in their living room, I'm with them, I'm spending time, it counts, right? Even if I'm on my phone, even if I'm checking text messages, even if I'm checking my Twitter feed, this all counts. I'm not going to do that. In fact, you know, just leave your phone on the charger when you're going to family sites. Christmas Day, you can, you can live one day without it. Here's, what, here's how you love someone. You genuinely care about them. You put their needs ahead of your needs. You, you seek to understand their lives and their point of view and their problems. You, you serve them and you serve them with a pure heart. And you may think, but there's this one person and I don't love them. I mean, I don't feel love for them. Well, I mean, this is something that Jesus said to do 
And I firmly believe Jesus doesn't tell us to do anything that we can't do. Jesus says, this is an action, it's a command, so that's supposed to incite action. So we can, whether you're a Christian or not, we can choose to love someone because love is not a feeling, love is an action, right? And that action can bring peace or wholeness or shalom to your Christmas. Now, hey, here's one more thing though, okay? So that's for everybody. Everybody in the room, whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you follow Jesus or not, no matter what you think about God or whatever, you you can choose to love somebody more and change your Christmas. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian, it's imperative that you do this. Because look at what Jesus says next in John 13, 35. He says, by this, everyone will know that you're my my disciples if you love one another. (laughs) Jesus says, it's not the fish on the back of your car that tells people you're a Christian. He says, it's not the radio station you listen to, the movies you watch, or where you eat your chicken that tells people you're a Christian. He says, people will know you're a Christian by how you love other people. So tomorrow, Christians, tonight, your family is going to be watching you to see how you love them. And you have an opportunity through your actions to say, I stand with Jesus. I'm going to love that person and, and in doing that, you can usher the Prince of Peace into your family, into your home, into your relationships, into your Christmas. Jesus says, peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. So it was Christmas Eve, 1914, a little more than 100 years ago. World War I had just begun. The British and the French were fighting the Germans in the Belgian countryside. The two armies had hunkered down, had dug trenches, and they were standing about 200 feet apart. So if you can imagine this, if you think about a football field, and one army's in the end zone, and one's on the other 35-yard line, this is how far apart these armies were. They're dug down in trenches. They haven't fought for about a month. They've been stationed in the same place. And Christmas Eve comes, 1914, and the snow starts to fall. And uh, the Germans start singing a song. They start singing Still a Nacht, which we know as Silent Night. And pretty soon after a verse or two, the English and the French join in and sing the carol in their own language. And over time, the Germans start singing more songs and the British and the French join them. And at some time during the night, the the Germans put up a white flag and tie it in a tree to symbolize a truce. And after a little time goes by, the British and the French put up a white flag in their tree to symbolize a truce, and they continue to sing together. And then sometime during the night, and we're not exactly sure who, but sometime during the night, one of the soldiers dared to step out of their trench into the area between the two armies. Now, the area between the two armies was called no man's land because it was thought that no man could walk into this area and survive. But someone walked into no man's land and someone eventually from the other side came out to greet him. And before long, both armies had left their trenches and they were standing on the field of battle, shaking hands, hugging one another, trading tobacco and chocolate, burying each other's dead and worshiping together. It was the start of what would become a full week of peace right before World War I had just had started. But after that week, seven days passed and The armies went back to their trenches and the fighting started again. It would be another three years before World War I would end. Can you imagine how things might have been different had the Prince of Peace been allowed to reign? Can you imagine how things might be different in your house this Christmas 
if the Prince of Peace was allowed to reign in your house? Can you imagine what would happen if you just loved one another? As Jesus loved you, if you would love one another, you could usher the Prince of Peace into your house, into your Christmas. And how much better would that make your Christmas story? And hey, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I believe that you're here tonight for a reason. That God is drawing you to himself. And how much difference would it make in your Christmas if you decided even tonight to ask the Prince of Peace to come into your life? and heal those broken places in your heart. And after the service, uh, our prayer team will be up here. They would love to talk to you about what it would mean to start a relationship with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Will we let Jesus give us his peace? Peace on earth, goodwill to men, and not just at Christmas, but all year long. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that we celebrate the greatest gift you've ever given to mankind, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Thanks for the reminder tonight that the Christmas story doesn't end in the manger. It doesn't end on the cross, but it ends with an empty tomb. It ends with Jesus, the man, walking out of this tomb and giving us eternal life. I'm so thankful for that. Lord, as we sing these last couple songs, I just pray that we could remember tonight and tomorrow the reason why we celebrate Christmas. The reason why for a couple days the whole world looks to Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you for that truth and thank you for these songs. In Jesus' name, amen.